goodness me, what a glorious God we serve. It's so much fun, isn't it? Um, do you want to take up a Bible? Um, and we are in Deuteronomy. Um, if you've been in and around us over the past few weeks, um, we're doing a sermon tracking the Ten Commandments through, and we're smack bang in the middle. We're Commandment Five, and we're all about honouring your father and mother this evening. So just just a small non-controversial thing there. Um, so. You want to be in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, which is page 176. So that's Deut 5, verse 16, page 176. And keep a finger in that. And then also grab hold of Ephesians at chapter 6, verses 2 to 4, which is page 1111. So 1111. Cool. And we're going to talk about order and we're going to talk about honor this evening. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then flipping over to Ephesians chapter 6, page 1111, verses 2 to 4, as Paul um, picks up this scripture into New Testament um, terms. So, verse 2. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, I'm going to touch on that in a moment, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's become the earth, not just the land, because we're in a wider context now. And verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Should we pray? Father, we thank you. Your word is so good that it's eternal, that it's alive and active, that it's always, always relevant. And we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the power of it this evening. And that, Holy Spirit, you would change and minister to us, that um, you would heal us where we need healing, you would give us fresh vision where we need fresh vision, and you would restore us to repentance where we need to do that before you. And all for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Um, the first thing I wanted to say this evening, in fact, is two things. Um, firstly, it's honour your father and mother, not obey. Honour your father and mother. It doesn't say there, obey your father and mother. And those two things are different, and we'll press into that in a little while when we look at honour. So just hold that in your psyche as we go through. And equally, I am aware that um, the first reading of something like that can probably be quite like challenging for quite a few of us. And some of us may have brilliant relationships with our parents. Um, I would say I have like a pretty good relationship with my parents. Um, and some of us, this whole era of parenthood may not be totally, totally easy. But actually the most exciting thing about the church is that we're like this big family of God. And no matter where you are at with your biological parents, this church is full of spiritual parents, fathers and mothers. Um, I was talking to a lot of them this morning at our various morning services. And it's full of spiritual sisters and brothers. And there's a big, big context that this is speaking into. So as we delve into this this evening, um, hold it with hope. 
and hold it with vision. And if there's stuff that you need to bring to the Lord, he just longs to minister to you and to meet you um, where you're at. So, so know that. Let this be a kind of joy thing, not a fear thing, if that's okay with everybody. Okay. So, Deuteronomy and um, Ten Commandments. Um, as I've been saying before, you can follow the narrative in Exodus. So, if you pick up um, Exodus chapter 20 and the chapters around it, that gives you the sort of narrative context. Deuteronomy is presented to us um, basically as one day and the words of Moses. He's talking to the Israelites on the uh, plains of Moab. They're looking into the promised land. They're about to head into the promised land, become a people who aren't just wandering around the desert forever and a day. Um, and this is the Lord saying through Moses... This is how you're going to live well. This is how you're going to do well on earth. And of course, that's many, many thousands of years ago. But actually, at the end of the day, humanity hasn't changed. We're all still sons and daughters of God, just like the ancient Israelites, made in God's image. And the stuff that is written here, which is about human flourishing, and which is a freedom thing, not an imprisonment thing, which is there to set us free so that we really understand what it is to order our lives well before God. That is just as relevant today as it was all those thousands of years ago for the Israelites. And as it was in New Testament times, which is more like 2,000 years ago, um, as Paul picks up the stuff in Ephesians. And it's Ephesians um, chapter 6, these verses. Verse 2. This commandment, which is the first commandment with a promise. The first commandment with a promise. And the reason the promise is there, that you will go well in the land and you will have a long life and you will live well. The reason it's put there in commandment five is that commandment five, numerically, basically, is the heart of the commandments. And the heart of the commandments is that we would live well on earth. Because the reality of scripture is that it's God talking into our situation right now. And so God's got his eternal purposes of the new creation. He's not saying that everything's going to be set perfectly right before that time. Actually, all of scripture is looking forward to the new creation, to the point where Jesus will return at the right hand of the Father to judge the living and the dead. Everything will be caught up. Eden will be restored. There'll be no more tears. All the stuff that's in Revelation. But actually, scripture is inherently practical. And so the Lord is saying to us through the Ten Commandments, through um, Jesus' fulfillment in the law, the Sermon on the Mount, through the epistles, the letters that we find in the New Testament, he is saying to us, actually, this is the reality of your time on earth, and this is how you are going to flourish. This is how the church will flourish. And if you live this stuff out as church, who is called to be a prophetic people, the world around you will flourish. And that's what's going on with this stuff. It's a freedom thing, not an imprisoning thing. So we said before that actually we want to get away from this idea of a wagging sort of God, wagging his finger, who's like, thou shalt not. And actually this is all about thou shalt be free. So how do we find freedom? How do we flourish with this stuff? Well, firstly, we need to get hold of a kind of awareness, um, which is what we do when we grapple with scripture and we grapple with the world around us. So we've got an awareness of the scriptural story, of scriptural truth, of the things that we find in the Bible. We hold that hand in hand with an awareness of what is going on right now, 2018, Parsons Green, London, UK, world. What is going on in our culture right now? And we're going to delve into that a little more this evening. Um, there's a glorious verse nestled in the Old Testament in um, 2 Chronicles. And 
Um, two Chronicles, um, David is trying to reclaim his throne and he gets around him this band of mighty men and they're called David's mighty men. Um, and there's some chaps listed there called the Sons of Issachar, which is all very Lord of the Rings sounding, but they sound like very cool people. And it just says about the Sons of Issachar that they were men who were wise and knew the times they lived in and what Israel should do. And that's what we're called to be as church. Those who are wise and know the times and know what we should do in them. So as we consider this stuff this evening, that's the sort of tension that we're going to hold. Um, and then we flourish by ordering our lives well, by getting hold of this stuff, being excited by it. We're going to talk about ordering our lives well um, in a moment. And specific to this command, we flourish by understanding and walking in honor. So we're going to spend a bit of time this evening grappling with what honor really looks like. Um, ordering our lives well. What is that all about? It's really interesting that when God wants to approach the people of Israel, when God wants to approach us to talk to us about a well-ordered life, he uses this image of the family. But actually, the family becomes the microcosm, the baseline for all respect, for all authority, for how we figure out what those things look like. Um, Tim Keller puts it like this about this command. It's respect for parents that is the basis for every other kind of respect and every under, uh, sorry, every other kind of authority. Actually, figuring this stuff out about honoring our parents, be they kind of biological or spiritual, whatever, figuring this stuff out, how we walk out honor and respect within the family unit is the baseline for all our other attitudes towards the world around us, towards our relationships. So when we come together as church and we pray for Theresa May and all of that, what is going on in our hearts, the Lord is encouraging us, is fundamentally, firstly, worked out in our relationships, in the kind of home place. And why does he do that? Well, he does that because he knows how he's made us and he's made us for family and he's made us for relationship and family and relationship is a gift from him for us. It's something to be excited about, not to be abused. Um, but he also does this because it's about scripture and scripture is eternally, but also always situationally relevant. So scripture is... Um, it's written at a time where the basic kind of sociological unit, the place where you would figure out who you were, what you were made for, and what respect looked like, how to work well, how to live well, where you would learn godliness, you would do all of that within the home, within the family unit. The ancient world, New Testament world, Old Testament world, they just knew a stationary and extended family where everybody was welcomed in. And initially, that can be a bit of a difficulty for us, can't it? Because actually, our families look a bit different, don't they? Um, we know that there's kind of high rates of family breakdown and all of that. We know that often even families at their best are quite nuclear, quite sort of closed um, units these days. Actually, they're quite transitory. So look at all of us, M pretty much all of us in this room have sort of left our families, left our parents, and are out living our independent lives. And that wasn't quite the same reality in scripture. So sometimes when we look at something like this, honor your father and mother, it just feels a bit old fashioned, a bit archaic, a bit patriarchal almost, what is going on there? But the point is that it's meant to be a freeing thing. Um, J. John just puts it like this, um, 
Hopefully most of you guys know who J. John is. I'm not going to do an impression, but Tim does a really good one. <laughs> um, and J. John just says this, it wasn't something imprisoning, it was something freeing. This is meant to be a freedom thing, not an imprisoning thing. And so what we do is we get hold of the eternal principle. The eternal principle is one of honor that we work out in our closest relationships. And we work that out in the reality of our lives. So where we can turn to our parents and say, you know, I'm really going to honor you well. We do that. That'll be the case for most of us. Where maybe some of us have more difficult relationships with our parents and we need to wrestle with that a little before the Lord. You, there'll be other people around that you can do that with. We rehearse this stuff and we know that it's a free thing, not an imprisonment thing, because it's about us going well and living long in the land. And we approach it all with New Testament eyes. So the reason that we pick up that Ephesians verse, sorry, Ephesians verse, alongside the Deuteronomy verse is that by the time in the New Testament, it's already widening out. So yes, Paul repeats the uh, command of Deuteronomy, honor your father and mother. But verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, and let's add mothers in there, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Suddenly, in this crazy patriarchal society where, you know what, dad's word ruled and you just did whatever the sort of male head of the household told you to do. Suddenly, this radical thing comes in and Paul's like, fathers, you've got to do some stuff too. Don't exasperate your children. Parents... Look after your children well. There's this exhortation to fathers. And then as we go through the New Testament further, this idea of honor develops. And it's all under an idea of good order. So if we turn to something like uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, which is brilliant. Okay, so verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Let's stop there for a moment. Submit yourself for the law's sake. Actually, the gospel scripture again and again speaks of good order because fundamentally we were made for order. And even when we hit the new creation where everything's put right, there's order in the heavenlies. We're going to worship God forever. There's the angels and the archangels. We're made for order. And actually, there's a deeper truth going on there. And it's going on there for the early church, but it's also going on there for us. The deeper truth is that the gospel can't be pulled into disrepute. And so actually, in a time where Christianity is illegal, and these guys have been fed to the lions, and they are being persecuted, Peter writes to them, and he says, submit yourselves to these authorities that are persecuting you because this will cause the gospel to be held in high regard. This will mean the gospel isn't pulled into further disrepute. So he goes on in verse 15, for it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And so what the Lord is saying to us through these verses, actually, let us be a people, a people who are so far above disrepute who are a church where people can look in from the sidelines and say, my goodness, that is a place of joy. That is a place of respect and integrity and honor. And in so being, we're going to be the shining light to the world around us. We submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to the earthly realities 
that are around us, the governance structures, our MPs, our local councillors, all of it. We honour them. And then verse 17, honour everyone. That's completely, completely radical in a first century context. That we're called to honour everyone. In the first century, all that happened was you kind of honoured the aristocrats and the ruling elite. And then we love the family of believers, we fear God, and we honour the emperor. And that's so, so radical. These early Christians are told to honour the man who is killing them. We need to sit in that. It's not necessarily a comfortable thing to sit in. We need to sit in it. So good order, good order, a well-ordered um, life is the call of the day for our flourishment and for the gospel flourishment. Um, I was trying to kind of come up with some vague analogy for this because I love a visual aid. Um, this is actually not my best visual aid, I'm going to warn you. But anyway, I think it works, sort of. Okay, so if we imagine that we're the water, right? And water is made to like flow and everything, isn't it? And splash around. But if I just do this, it makes like a giant mess, right? Uh, don't tell Tim, thanks, Joe. <laughs> but if I decide that I want to drink and I pour some water into a cup and the water's given some boundaries and a bit of good order, the water does well and I do well. Um, and if I decide I want to do some washing up and I pour the water into a washing up bowl, what happens? Good order ensues, and the water flourishes. There we go. Anyway, sort of, it kind of works. You get the point. So, we're not called to chaos. We're called to good order. We're called to be water that flows, but the parameters help us. And that begins in the family. That's what this commandment's getting at. So that's good order. Honor. Um, it suddenly occurred to me about three days ago, that apart from in Christian circles where we're all like, I'm going to honour you, when was the last time you heard anyone talk about honour? People don't talk about honour today, do they? I couldn't come up with one thought outside of a church where someone talked to me about honour. But you turn to scripture, scripture talks about honour 211 times. It's all over scripture. So you've got honouring your father and mother, you've got honouring governance structures, the emperor, you've got honouring God all the time in worship and things like that. Um, when um, it speaks about Jesus heading to his um, hometown, in Matthew 19, Matthew just says that actually Jesus was received as a prophet without honour. There's a whole wrestle with honour there. There's the radical honoring of each other that we find in 1 Peter 2, 17. And when we think about God himself, God in his innermost makeup, in his very character, is honor. And so there's God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father honors the Son, and the Son honors the Father. And the Father honors the Spirit, and the Spirit honors the Father. And the Spirit honors the Son, and the Son honors the Spirit. And God lives in this eternal relationship of honor with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving and honoring each other. And when we read about Jesus' baptism, Matthew 4, um, Luke, something, um, you know, that's what's going on in Jesus' baptism. Jesus is right there and the heavens open. The Father's like, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. Honor, honor, honor. And the Spirit descends like a dove and all of God is caught up in honor. And then we know that we're human beings, that we're image bearers, that we're made in his likeness. And so if he is honor, then we're called to honor, aren't we? We flourish when we honor 
one another. So what do we do with that in our culture, in a culture that doesn't quite get on it? Um, it suddenly occurred to me that um, about, until about 100 years ago, culture really, really understood honour and duty. Perhaps it was a bit buttoned up and a bit repressed. British culture certainly um, sort of understood it in that way. But honour featured really, really heavily. So um, men were honoured through battle and chivalry and doing their duty. Women often through kind of children and the home. Everyone was sort of honoured, spoken well of. If they sacrificed for their friends, for family, for country. Honour was a big deal. It's the Lord of the Rings type stuff. And then around the First World War, something started to change. And I don't know if you've um, ever watched um, Parade's End. It's on Netflix with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's great. Watch it. It's like a three-parter. Maybe it's a six-parter. Anyway. And um, it's based around the Second World War. And Benedict Cumberbatch plays this guy called Christopher Tetians. And he's a bit old school. And his whole life is about honor and duty. But it gets him into loads of trouble because he's totally misunderstood in this world around him where everything is changing. And he finds this moment where he's sitting there and he's pondering what's going on. He's pondering the world around him and he says this, Englishmen would not as a rule refuse to do their jobs, to be honourable, to do their duty. They had not used to, now, now, don't, now no doubt they did. Actually it's at this point around the First World War that things change and our society sort of rejected duty and honour as a baseline and rejected honour in any kind of external terms and actually started to internalize who we were and started to elevate um, the individual. And we need to consider what's going on in our society. It's that Sons of Issachar stuff, those who were wise and knew the times that they were living in because there's all sorts of sort of minimal messaging going on. And that's true for every you know, strand of human history. But right now, what are we being told? Actually, we're in this weird point in history where our society is sort of doing something that no society has ever done before. And we're deconstructing and rejecting loads of traditional things, but particularly this idea of honor and duty. And so instead of honor being an external reality, where we go and we give ourselves for the other person, and that's the honorable thing. Actually, if we talk about honor at all, which we rarely do now, the narrative that will be going on in the back of your mind that has been fed to us from all corners is something like this. It's wrong to sacrifice your personal desire for external honor. If honor exists, it's an internal reality. It's about honoring yourself. The most dishonorable thing you can do is to dishonor yourself by suppressing yourself. That's the sort of stuff that's been whispered to us. And so that means that when we come and we see something like this, honor your father and mother, there's all sort of buzz things going off in the back of our minds. And our initial reaction can be like, oh, what do I do with that? It's a bit old school, it's a bit archaic, whatever. And even at the most subliminal level, and I'm speaking to myself here because I can feel myself do it in my relationship with my parents, that actually, you know, something in me sort of says, oh, if my parents or authority structures or even friends don't quite kind of meet my expectation, I've got some subliminal sort of reaction that wants to reject them, wants to push back. But God calls us to something different. We're a church 
with the church, we're his hands and feet. We're prophetic people and we're called to be wise and know the times we live in. And we're always called to the radical middle ground. And so, you know, the pre-First World War stuff where honor and duty had possibly gone a bit mad and just led to sort of people being suppressed and quite a patriarchal society and things like that. Fair enough. There's a lot of criticism for all of that. But equally, where we're landing at the moment where honor is only an internal reality and we're so elevated our personhood over everything else that's not the gospel way either the gospel way is always the radical middle ground of scriptural truth where we wrestle with what this stuff means and we're called to prophesy to the culture we're called to say hey there is a different way and you can walk in it it's going to make you free and abundant joy will be yours and joy is different to happiness but anyway um so what do we do we need to understand honor. So back to my original thing, it's not obey. It's honor your father and your mother. And the word in scripture that is used for honor is treat as weighty. Treat as weighty. And what it's about is a respect thing. That actually we treat as weighty our parents. We Treat as weighty those in authority above us. Treat as weighty our boss, our friends, our colleagues, our MPs, Theresa May, local councillors. We see them and we treat them with respect and with weight. And then we're called to practice honour. And scripture calls us to almost develop that muscle memory through respect within the family. And by the time we get to the New Testament, it's a two-way thing. It's children to parents and parents to children. So what we do is we practice and we walk out treating with weight these primary relationships around us. So what does that look like? It doesn't mean that we just obey everything they say to us and there's never any pushback. But it's things like forgiving people holding short accounts. Um, Alpha is brilliant for explaining that actually, you know, forgiveness is not about saying to someone what you did was okay. It's about saying to someone, I choose to forgive you. I release this. I put it back where it's meant to be at the feet of Jesus. I trust the justice to God and I'm going to walk free from this and I'm going to let you walk free from this. And that's going to be very different in different circumstances. For most of us, we'll probably just need to forgive a little, a lot. For some of us, it might be a big thing we need to forgive. And you can work that out with wisdom and in prayer with friends around you. And Lauren's got some brilliant stuff in the recovery course around forgiving people when it's, you know, some really kind of crunchy um, area. I wasn't going to call you that, but um, So forgive people and hold short accounts. Um, challenge and love your parents. That's a big challenge for us. Um, it struck me a few years ago, I was talking to my mum. My mum is, um, she's 60. And um, she said to me that she hadn't heard the word stress until about 1992. So that meant that she had her whole adult life giving birth to four children with no word for why she felt so wound up, because she was clearly very stressed. You know, um, as I talked to my parents, they've just, they just did Myers-Briggs for the first time, and it's like changed their world. Um, our, most of our parents didn't have the stuff that we have. 
we've been handed an awful lot in terms of emotional intelligence and tools and vocabulary to figure out what's going on in our hearts and our heads. Our parents didn't have that often. So challenge them, but be changed by them. Seek their wisdom. Um, speak well of them and esteem them in public. Actually, again, there's something in our culture that's very excited about airing our dirty laundry, isn't it? And putting everything on Twitter or whatever. Um, it's not repressed to keep some things in private. And you're going to need to challenge and chat and all of that. But it's okay for that to be at home. And it's okay for that to be um, between four walls. Speak well in public. When we speak of our parents, speak well of them, esteem them. Um, and this is growing closer for me, but um, look after them in their old age. It's going to be a challenge for each and every one of us. Parents are likely to live a lot longer than our um, grandparents. We're going to need to look after them in their old age. Okay, so we understand honor, treat as weighty. We rehearse, we walk our relationships out well in terms of the family. And then finally, we dig into this getting wider stuff, the kind of one Peter two stuff that is about honoring all of humanity around us. Um, who's been to, heard of Bethel Church in like Redding, California? Is that like a good number of us? Um, Bethel is a um, very charismatic church um, in um, North Carolina, which I had a brilliant week out there. Um, and there you have this whole thing about the culture of honor and Danny Silk's written a book. Um, and he just says this at the beginning of it. When God first speaks of honor in the Ten Commandments, he promises that long life will be our reward for honoring our parents. At Bethel, we believe that this command reveals a principle of honor in general. Accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Honor everyone. Treat with weight everyone. So that's your parents and your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your godparents, your nephews, your nieces. It's your boss, it's your local MP, it's your friends, it's all of us sitting in this room. It's the authority structures of the day. In this kind of post-truth society where we're hyper, hypercritical, we're going to be that different prophetic people if we are a people who speak well of the governance structures around us. You know, my politics are quite left-wing but I can still speak well of Theresa May because I'm called to do that more than I'm called to be a raving lefty. Yeah? So, okay, so honor each other in public. Um, and step out of that kind of narrative. We know what it is. It often happens in the workplace um, before or else, but that kind of toxic, gossip, critical narrative. We can just step out of that and we can speak with honor over people and we can treat them as weighty. And then finally, we do this by knowing our gospel identity. Guys, we are so uniquely placed as the church to run with this well, because we know what it is to honor God. What we're doing for the most of this service, and we're still doing now actually through his word, is we are honoring God, the King above all kings. We know what adoration and worship and honor truly looks like. And in us honoring him, the most extraordinary reality is that he has honored us. 
that, you know, he flung his arms wide on the cross and he invited us in and he empowered us by his spirit. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but some of my favorite verses in scripture are 1 Peter 2.9. And this is what he says over each and every one of us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Look what he speaks over you. How much honor and dignity has been poured out on each and every one of us. It's extraordinary. But actually, every person who walks the face of this earth, from your boss at work to the cup of tea you'll be having with the homeless guy on a Tuesday evening, if you're coming along to that, they have that potential. They are made in the image of the living God. We need to be clear about the potential of everybody around us and the honor that they deserve and the weight that they deserve. I'll leave us with this um, C.S. Lewis quote. Um, this is from The Weight of Glory, which is quite a short essay of C.S. Lewis's. And you can download it. And it's kind of academic, but it's good. Um, and he just says this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's a small g. He's not saying that we become God. God is God, but we're caught up in a life of God as we get to know him, as we're caught from darkness to light. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. And that's what we're doing as church. We're called to look out, to bestow dignity on the world around us and the people around us and to call people from darkness to light so that they know that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, made to declare the praises of him who has called them from that darkness to his wonderful light. So honor your father and mother is an extraordinarily relevant thing to us right now. We honor our biological parents, our spiritual parents. We order our lives well before God. And in so doing, we learn how to treat with weight humanity that is around us and to be people of influence for the kingdom of God and to draw others to know him. It's a glorious vision. It's worth giving our lives for. That's why we're here. Okay, guys going to stand. We're going to see what the Lord um, wants to do with us. I think he, he wants to minister, I think, yeah, into this whole area around